Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 80. The major friction point that a bank has within its processes and what it has to do to meet regulatory requirements, quite rightly, My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. The last two years have been a difficult time for SMEs who have had to grapple with the challenges of supply chain disruptions, geopolitical uncertainty, a global credit crunch, and most recently inflation driven by the COVID-19 pandemic. As SMEs emerge from the instability and volatility over the last two years, their working capital practices have evolved significantly and perhaps irreversibly. And as the global trade finance gap continues to make new highs, hitting 1.7 trillion US dollars in 2020. Both SMEs and banks are focusing on new ways to close that gap and access much needed capital in a faster, more flexible and more reliable way. At the forefront of this challenge is, of course, the digitalization of trade finance, which is driven by a mixture of new technologies and partnerships that aim to increase efficiency and reduce costs. But where does the industry currently stand on the challenge of digitalization? And how much closer are we to the ambitious goal of frictionless, borderless trade finance? Joining me here today to discuss these issues is Ian McLennan, Head of Trade and Supply Chain Finance at Finastra. Ian, welcome back to Trade Finance Talks. Thanks, Deepesh. Great to be here again. A quick introduction once again. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? So my name is Ian McLennan. I'm the Head of Trade and Supply Chain Finance here at Finastra. That means I cover all of our product management and engineering capabilities as it relates to trade and supply chain finance. So what do we do? I have the heart of Head of Trade and Supply Chain finance, but I also run our engagement with the ICC and ICC Tradecom, which is a financial marketplace that we are building and deploying in Ecuador currently, but then going to roll it out across Latin America and other global markets over the course of the next three years. So essentially, we build the back-end trading platforms for the trade finance banks around the world. We also have other products that sit in front of that. So from a corporate channels perspective, we're part of Finastra, which is a $2 billion revenue company and part of the Vista portfolio and a huge remit you have for Finastra and quite a time to be running this operation. So let's zoom straight in on the challenge of SME access to trade finance. Can you talk us through where we're at now and how you see the promise of technology making a difference? Why don't we start with that figure that you threw out there at front of the podcast, you know, the trade finance gap. For a number of years, we quoted 1.5 trillion, you know, the Asian development that Steve Beck and team do and have done for the last, I think they're on their ninth year now in regards what is the trade finance gap. So now it's up to $1.7 trillion as they they reported in October 2021. So again, you see a 15% uplift in that trade finance gap. And I think when you look at it from a technology perspective, I think one of the things that you see in the pandemic and that everybody talked about is we were talking about digitization before the pandemic. And I think what the pandemic did, if we talk to our clients and you look across the industry, is just drive that digitization into not a three-year journey, but how can we do it as quickly as we can, whether it's on the channel perspective, whether it's on the data perspective, or whether it's just actually on our operational processing needs. How can we drive paper to digital as quickly as we can? The technologies were there and the technologies are evolving. You know, we were talking in 19, we were talking about blockchain, we were talking about digital ecosystem. And I think what we've seen now 
is the pandemic has just accelerated that journey. So it's definitely accelerated the journey for us here at Finastra with the people that we partner with in the ecosystem. But also it's accelerated that journey with our clients around about how can we help them address the problems that the pandemic brought. And I think, you know, when you look at it from an SME perspective is how can we help those banks and those SMEs gain access to that funding through digital solutions, but also um, the broader engagements we have, for instance, through ICC Tradecom. Thank you very much, Ian. And it's good for you to describe those three different perspectives from a channel, data and operational lens and, and ultimately addressing the issue of moving from paper to online. I think actually from an SME perspective, it's all around access to finance. Like who cares whether it's trade finance, whether it's... Uh, it's working capital. Yeah. And actually, how do you assess the impact of recent government interventions in the UK, Canada, many other markets where we kind of had that liquidity and the backing from governments and the government stimulus, but now we're we're moving back towards a place where governments aren't necessarily backing SMEs and we're back to where we started, but perhaps with banks taking more of a risk-based approach to SME lending. So I think you call it a couple of interesting markets there. And I think the government financing part was, it depends where you were. I think candidly, if you talk in some markets, there was literally no support right through to some of the markets that you've mentioned there. So for instance, Canada, Sweden, UK, and some other markets, you know, seven or eight different easily you could name there where you saw a whole series of uh, government support initiatives, whether it's additional funding into the SME space or asking for particular initiatives to be taken by the financiers or by the market as a whole. So I think what you see there is a move back to potentially the same problems that we saw before in regards to SME financing. I mean, if you look at the ADV report, they again call out the same problems. You know, the top four problems of five that I'll mention are, is the same thing. It's the same thing that was in the previous reports. So again, they call out the number one issue for the banks is AML and KYC. They're actually also including now is the um, combating uh, financing of terrorism as well was quoted this time. So it really is that's the number one issue that barriers to servicing the financing requests that are coming in from SMEs. They talk about Basel capital requirements, obviously credit rating and economic uncertainty related to COVID was a big thing that happened over the last two years, obviously around about just the macro position. What is happening? How do we address this? So I think the challenge we face now is do we go back to the same? Do we go back to the same sort of world that we inhabited in 2019? Or can we work in a different way? And can technology allow us to work in a different way to offset some of the barriers that are in place? Going back to your point on risk, I think one of the biggest problems quoted by the ADB Trade Finance Survey was something like 40% of rejected applications for trade finance were rejected from banks by SMEs. How do you think fintechs like Finastra can help banks, I guess, assess risk in a different way? Or perhaps even allow them to move further down the chain and assist smaller and smaller companies in accessing finance? It's a good question, right? Because it is that part around about KYC and AML. The major friction point that a bank has within its processes and what it has to do to meet regulatory requirements quite rightly. And these processes, and we've talked about this before, are in place for the right reasons. But how do we reduce that friction? So let me give you the example within ICC Tradecom. We have the ability via partners to pull in the information that a bank would need 
or would satisfy a large portion of the need around about KYC from a customer perspective. And we look at it both from a KYC, so know your customer, but also a KYT, know your transaction. Is this the transaction I would expect between these two parties? What, how do the goods represented within the transaction appear? Is it something that I would expect this deal to happen? So I think what we can do via that data point that I gave earlier on is provide a way that then links into the operational part, which is how do I make the job easy for you? Cost to serve is always a challenge. It's one of the barriers to servicing that I didn't mention it, that is also a challenge for the banks. And a lot of that comes around, how do I understand who I'm dealing with? How can I do this in a cost-effective manner? And how can I be comfortable in the financing that I will offer? And is it appropriate for the people that are asking for the finance? I hear a lot of people saying now, it's not a tech Challenger. It's not a tech problem. The technology is now there. To what point, to what extent do you agree with that versus the other argument that actually it's a problem around the law, perhaps, i.e., you know, the acceptance of electronic transferable records and electronic documents? Yeah, so you have Melita, right, in coming up, and you see much more progress in regards to that. But what I'd focus on is the technology is there. The law is catching up. And we have always said that legislation lags innovation, right? It's, it's a word, you know, a phrase we've used before. But I think the key part for me is the technology and the data. So again, back with Tradecom, we're looking, you know, we work with government invoice repositories, we work with data providers, we work with credit insurance providers as well to provide a rounded service to the financiers that we'll have in place. But a key part of that is accessing the, the data that allows you to determine through your various technology components and AI and everything else that allows you then to make the appropriate decision for you as the financier. It's a tie-up of the technology, the access to data, and the legislation, uh, Deepesh, that you're calling out there as well. And would you say it's getting more complicated? And I'm talking about connecting the dots here. We've had the prolific rise of a number of different platforms, trade finance, technology providers, and, and also we've seen agnostic services appear, let's say in the freight forwarding and the shipping industry. So actually now it's probably harder than, than ever before to really connect those dots and, and provide a, a seamless customer journey. What's Finastra's approach to working with other platforms and other networks within the ecosystem? We use the phrase, and you hear from Simon, our CEO, you hear open by default. We actually can evidence it around about how we engage with other fintechs in that, that chain you mentioned. So whether it's Compen, ClearEye, NEGO, and, and others, you know, Contour, Marco Polo, and others. We're engaged with a number of those we've already have in production. A number of those are coming and another are parked until we can both agree in regards to resources. Always the challenge yeah, is, is how do you prioritize and how do you bring things to market? And we have to gel that together from an ecosystem perspective and a Finastra perspective. So I think we see much, much more collaboration across the ecosystem. I think you can see this across the board that people realize that I like the phrase, you have to join the dots and you have to join the dots both from a financier's perspective and a client perspective and the underlying transaction as well. So how do you knit this together? We obviously have FusionFabric.cloud, which is key to our strategy, both on Tradecom and on uh, Fusion Trade Innovation, but across the whole of the Finastra suite, it allows 
third-party fintechs to connect either into the core product but to offer their offerings out to the market through our marketplace. But I think a lot of this collaboration, I, I reflect back to Consortia 2019, we did a panel there, I led a panel there, and we talked there about interoperability and adoption. I think you can see that happening now around about the digital ecosystem, the various initiatives that are ongoing, you know, the ICC's DSI and the like around about we know that we need to cooperate to have a true end-to-end experience across all of the parties. And I reflect back on, there's a lovely diagram, I think it was Booz Allen Hamilton or McKinsey, which showed the spaghetti of trade. And it just was, this is why we need to be connected. You can't run an ecosystem on the basis of however many data points, however many actors, you need to have this interconnectability and across multiple networks and across multiple instances. Oh, yes. I think I remember that spaghetti diagrams. It's a great diagram. I showed it to someone in this way. And the response was, I now get it. We need to digitize. Uh, it, it was it was the best diagram. It was it was described as the plate of spaghetti. I now get it. Mm, no, exactly. The hundreds of actors, the hundreds of documents used in a exactly transaction. Yeah. And a bit more of a difficult question: When does collaboration become competition? I guess you know commercially. There is a bit of a line that is to be drawn and you know, your partnerships with Compend, Energia, Contour, etc. They have to be collaborative and add value right, to the overall proposition and not necessarily compete with Finastra's existing products and offering like Fusion, for example. Uh, yes, yeah, it is a much harder, honestly, much harder question to answer. And I'm going to go back to the open by default and it goes back to a conversation I was having this morning. We won't dictate to a client what they should use. You know, Obviously, we, we prefer that we have Fusion Trade Innovation as the base and then is series of ecosystem providers outside of that. So from my perspective, the competition from that is not a competition per se from a financial perspective. The client makes a decision. So whether they choose to go down a particular digitization and documentation compliance partner, that's a customer's choice. We do live by the open by default. I use the term we're agnostic. We've started with some providers, but we've got other providers coming. And it actually becomes then, how do we do the best thing for the customer? And the customer will have a view. I may choose a particular provider. From my perspective, that's the customer's choice. I'm there to enable that engagement and make sure that we can facilitate what the customer needs. I think then you're looking at how can you, going back to that point, how you can have that interoperability, adoption, collaboration that makes sense from a customer perspective. And those answers will be different potentially in each of the regions because of the nature of the fintechs and the nature of the markets, and also different in segments. Hopefully, you've got enough information about the Inigio Finastra partnership. How would that work in reality and kind of from a more practical level to benefit Finastra, to benefit Inigio, and of course, most importantly, your customers? Yeah, I mean, so what we're talking about here is the digital ownership of documents. So again, it comes back to one of those classic trade finance problems is, I've got a document, but who's the owner of that document? Am I truly the bearer and the owner of this? Or is it a copy of a document that I actually don't have any right to the title of of the goods or anything else? So what it does is it allows participants to sign and share the ownership of the document. And you can see who the owner of the document is. And as the owner, you can have the rights over that document. So it really deals with one of the 
basic premises within trade finance around about the physical document and the ownership of the true document, if I call it that. So what it allows our customers to do is engage directly from Finastra, directly from Fusion Trend Innovation through our open APIs into any duo and the blockchain of any duo to make sure that they can take on the benefits of the blockchain and ensure an understanding on ownership and attribute and have access to the ownership of the document. Thank you. And that ownership and immutability of the Absolutely. records are, are really important here. I'm going to go back to your previous point on open by default. And actually, in the recent ICC survey, a lot is mentioned around the digital divide. And I'm talking about the difference between a regional and local bank's attitude and, frankly, investment into digitalization and various techniques there versus a big global bank with pockets. So how does Finastra enable you know, that the correspondence banks saying those smaller local banks in the world are just as connected or have opportunities to be just as connected to the global digital trade ecosystem than say those larger tier one banks? I wouldn't generalize as much in terms of you could have some super highly technical local banks Mm -hmm. that are very fleet of foot, very agile in regards to what they do. And they can be very advanced from a technology perspective because they don't have bring 15 different regions together to talk about what they need to do overall. So I think what you get is what we offer from a Finastra perspective, is the ability to deploy on cloud, which reduces your total cost of ownership, the ability to seamlessly connect into the digital ecosystem through FFDC. So you technically have all of the advantages of a super regional global bank, but just from your, in double quotes, local perspective. So we give you the ability to be global in reach, but local in cost, let's call it that way. One final question for you, and I think this has been a really interesting podcast today, and we've covered quite a lot of ground here. But given the current really uncertain geopolitical landscape, the uncertainty around COVID-19, the real push for banks to digitize a lot of their paper operations, where do you see the future heading in terms of the digitalization of trade and trade finance? And also, what are you personally going to be focusing on over the next 12 to 18 months, Ian? The current macro situation is very worrying to the side just now, uh, which is hard to do based on you know all of the pictures that we see and, and the stories coming out of Ukraine, plus the Hopefully, we are coming to the towards the end of the pandemic. We move into a living with COVID situation. I think digitization is going to carry on a pace. You're going to see more collaboration that you've picked on. We're going to um, or you picked out uh, Deepesh, as you said. I think what we'll see is much more connecting of the dots leveraging a lot of the initiatives that are underway, a lot of them driven by the ICC. I think what we'll see then is the true value of a global connected trade system. And then from my perspective as well, I'm going to be really focusing over the next two years on ICC Tradecom as well as our digital ecosystem from a fusion trade innovation perspective. But it really is how do we, with the ICC begin to address some of those systemic problems that I called out earlier on through ICC Tradecom. Just now we're working with a number of banks in Ecuador around about how we can deal with that with Quito Chamber of Commerce as well there, around about how we can bring financing into a marketplace and make it accessible to those businesses and those communities that need it. Because we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that, you know, that micro and SME businesses are 90 plus percent of the organizations in the world 
you're completely right. There'll definitely be a lot more collaboration moving forwards and a lot more challenges, but also opportunities ahead for, I guess, the future of digital trade. Ian, thank you so much for your time and for joining um, us on Trade Finance Talks. Really looking forward to seeing you next time. And in fact, it might be worth the plug now. I will be seeing you hopefully at the World Trade Symposium, which Trade Finance Global are proud media partners of. It's on the 31st of March, 2022 in the UK at the Institute of directors and you can find more on tradefinanceglobal.com forward slash conferences and hopefully we'll see many of our listeners at the IOD as well. It's going to be a great event Deepesh. Thank you again for the time. It's been it's been great to chat again. Thank you. Bye now. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.